Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey, it's GQ here. Welcome back to the How We Solve podcast. Today, I have with me Adrian Brady Chisana, the founder of CX Chronicles and the customer-focused business leader working with startup and growth-focused companies. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you so much, GQ. Pleasure to be here today, sir. All right. So I really love this episode right now because I was on Adrian's show, I think, a few weeks ago, and now we're changing seats. The tides have changed, my friend. Now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, now it's my time to put you in the spotlight. All yeah, right. That's right. So for everyone to get a better picture of you know uh, your background and you know what, what, you're, what you've been up to, could you share a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. So GQ, I've been a, a bit of a, of a startup journeyman. I've spent really my entire career building and scaling and shaping different companies across a variety of different industries. So I'll try to give you the two-minute elevator pitch. Um, I've started a plethora of my own businesses along, along my journey, GQ. So everything from property management businesses to food companies to clothing companies. I've literally tried a little bit of all of it. As far as my actual day job goes and how I actually pay the bills, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a number of different venture capital-backed leadership teams. I was in New York City for uh, almost 10 years working at a variety of really cool companies. I get to spend time building a company called HBloom. We were one of the fastest floral subscription companies uh, on the planet at the time. We were doing incredible, beautiful floral designs and plant designs for some of the world's best hotels and restaurants and office buildings and all sorts of really cool things going on in cities like New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago. Uh, So spent time building that company. Got to join an incredible startup called One Fine Stay, which was essentially a white glove Airbnb business based out of London. And essentially when Airbnb went to uh, went to work spreading their their flag across the world, One Fine Stay built literally the top echelon white glove experience where we were opening penthouses and townhouses and these gorgeous mansions to all sorts of visitors from across the world. So I got to spend time working with that incredible team, building some of their customer experiences. Then I took a stab at healthcare technology, GQ, and I found myself in a space that I never thought I'd be in, which was uh, the home healthcare world, and basically helped to build a company called Home Team in New York City, where we were building beautiful days for older adults. And really what we were doing, GQ, is putting technology in the hands of caregivers, people that are taking care of our loved ones or maybe our older grandparents or or, or our parents or maybe our siblings. And essentially, we were gamifying how they could actually record and take note of what was happening inside of the home each day so that loved ones across the country or across the world could actually get a daily snapshot into how how grandma or grandpa is doing throughout the day and working with a a plethora of incredible caregivers all, all across the New York City, New Jersey market. So got to kind of see a lot of different things there over the the last two, three years now, it's really been about building CX Chronicles and the CX Chronicles podcast. So the whole point of our existence, GQ, as you know, you just nailed it in the beginning is we're all about connecting customer-focused business leaders across the world, people that are thinking about how they can build, scale, and grow their companies through the power of customer experience. And then along the way, man, we've got a ton of awesome customer-facing folks that, that actually get to work with customers every single solitary day. So we do a ton of different things with the podcast and some of our content. We just released a new book. So we're, we're always trying to figure out how we can connect the CX dots across the world, sir. 
So if you guys want to check out more customer experience related content, you have to listen to the CX Chronicles podcast. Adrian's just killing it. It was really <laughs> awesome. So you have such extensive experience in customer experience, Adrian. Now, I would love to discuss today, what's the specific challenge that you have in mind that we can discuss? Sure. So I think the big thing that we really kind of spent a ton of time talking about at CX Chronicles GQ, it's this huge $62 billion problem just in the US alone. Globally, there's a multiple $100 billion problem here, which is companies do not realize that they're just draining cash by not thinking about how they can optimize their own customer experience. Think about doubling down on customer success and retention and not only doing everything you can to find a bunch of brand new customers, but instead keep all the ones that you've already gathered, right? The longer you can keep a stable of promoting customers and individuals that love your company, love your brand, love your service, love your product, the, the easier this thing's going to be, right? The easier business is going to be to grow, the easier it's going to be able to be able to retain an awesome team of really highly talented individuals. And then lastly, let's face it, man, we spend the bulk of our life working, right? So most people like to enjoy the things that they do to work, right? And that's that makes it a little bit better. So I think the, the big crux of what we're solving today is talking through some ideas for how people could think about improving churn and really reducing that pain that they feel when they lose customers. And, and this was a really big recurring topic that we, we discussed on your podcast, and that is the four CX pillars, right? So how would you recommend that business leaders review their company, you know, in terms of their, uh, their team or their performance with regards to customer experience and the four CX pillars? Okay, so first of all, number one, thank you just for, for giving me a chance to walk through this. But guys, as I was building and being a part of scaling some of those companies that I that I just mentioned in, in New York, there kept being the same problems. There kept being the same challenges. There kept being the same issues. People kept flagging the same thing, and it was almost like uh, it was almost like that Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. I kind of felt like I was literally on repeat again and again and again. And you know that's sort of what budded or what started me really understanding, wait a minute, man, there's a couple buckets here that just keep presenting themselves. And that was sort of the beginning of sort of when I started thinking about compartmentalizing these different thoughts and these different ideas and these different challenges and these different focus points into the four CX pillars, right? And so today, obviously, as for folks that listen to the CX Chronicles podcast, we spent a ton of time talking about the four CX pillars, team, tools, process and feedback. And so to answer your question, GQ, one of the very first things that we'll do either with our clients or with different startup founders or startup executives that are interested in learning more about how they can grow their business through the power of customer experience, we literally start there, right? I mean, one of the first things we do is go line by line through the different four CX pillars and really get a, a strong assessment around how they're sort of faring in each one of those areas. So you start with the first pillar of team, for example. As you get into team, you're looking for a variety of different things. You're looking for the composition of the team. You're looking for the size of the team. You're looking for the connective points for the team or the connective tissue that really kind of makes sure that the team understands what's happening each day. You're looking for how the team is actually driven and managed, whether that's a specific leader or a group of leads. We're looking at all of those different variables and we're working with our, our clients and working with these different business executives to think about where are they kind of killing it and where are they weak? Because you immediately begin to see which areas are ripe for improvement and which areas you've done a phenomenal job of building a foundation that can allow you to, to really scale and grow upon. So that's the first place. I'll stop there, GQ, just to see if there's any questions around the first pillar of team. Okay. Kind of 
reviewing what you just said. So, you know, with a great team, kind of like how things work, what we're great at, you know, uh, what we're not so good at, it, we have to improve. But I think that kind of also has changed to some degree when you think about where we are right now. Because if you were in a company where teams got to work together in a physical space, it's a lot easier for collaboration and a lot easier for execution. But now that we're moving to, or we have moved rather to a remote setup, how has, how has that changed for you? Like based on what you've seen? Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, it's funny when <laughs> a lot of the startup companies and growth companies that have already sort of been completely built off the back of technology, they found this transition pretty easy, right? That's what I'm hearing anyway. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about, well, I'm still using the same CRM, right? So I still have all my customer information and all my customer activities, all my calls, all my emails, all the different things that I'm doing to touch customers each day, right? Sitting right in front of me in my CRM. So for companies that are already set up on Salesforce, HubSpot, Zendesk, Cell, any of these other tools that they're using to kind of keep their customer game in line, they're not really feeling too much of a blow right there, right? So they're already used to that. The same companies also tend to have some of these other tools. They've got Slack already up and running. So they're already talking in their channels right now and they've got... 10 conversations going while we're recording the show, right? They're literally doing that. And then you've got, there's a number of different folks that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks, both on the CS Chronicles podcast and even just in my personal network, who had all of their phone game was on the laptop, right? So they were either using some type of remote dialer or they were already using a Ring Central or a Twilio, or maybe they were using a Zendesk Air, Air Call phone or an Air Call IO solution where literally their phone is on the laptop. So they didn't have to think about bringing any phones home. They didn't have to think about if it's going to be VoIP, if it's going to be sell, how am I going to, they're already just making their phone calls and laughing. So there's a number of different companies like that that were really, really well positioned for this. And I think we've all seen examples of Slack and Zoom and some of these other companies that really help folks move to a remote type of setting. They're crushing it right now. They're literally, their phones are blowing up. They're demoing. They're having a historic total number of demos. They're going to come off the back end of this thing, literally rip roaring. Like what? One of the biggest ones was like Zoom. I think Zoom, <laughs> Zoom really just exploded yes. overnight. It was crazy. Explode. I mean, think about it. You've got. I mean, in all fairness, I've got on the weekends now. I've got my family, including some of my my parents or my aunts and my uncles <laughs> who are in their in their seventies, popping on Zoom just to chat with the family and say hi to hi, hi to the family and how the kids are doing and how people are getting along. So like. This is different, man. And, and maybe those same people 45 days ago literally didn't even know what Zoom was, right? And now yeah, they're, now they're popping on for family calls or for or to get together with you're seeing, you know, friends getting together and doing the whole social thing on a Friday night or Saturday night since we can't go anywhere. So it's definitely been interesting to see that. Now, on the flip side, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity at the same time, because if you look at many of the world's SMBs, right, if you look at the small and the medium businesses out there, that's not necessarily the same thing that you're hearing. A lot of people that have been so used to being in a physical, you know, kind of more of an antiquated setup where sort of they relied on the phones or they relied on customers coming to their counter and literally being able to do a transaction over the counter, different ballgame, right? These people are struggling to figure out how can I get online? How can I, maybe now I need to build a website. Maybe now I need to be able to answer telephone calls or emails from a non-physical place. So I think there's a ton of opportunity for a lot of the business owners out there who are in that type of right to start thinking about which which of these tools, which of these systems, and which of these processes they can actually start thinking about implementing into their businesses post-COVID-19. 
And, you know, that's a really good point that you brought up. And what are some of these tools? Like, you know, I think you brought up quite a number uh, already just now. But like, you know, for businesses who are maybe still struggling with this mass migration to like, you know, working remotely and, and in line with your next CX pillar, which is tools, what are some of these popular tools or you think that would be really useful for, for SMBs? And maybe not even just SMBs, maybe even, you know, people who are who are killing it in, uh, remotely, but, you know, to not break apart their customer experience, but rather to be able to transition that and still deliver, you know, great CX. Like what are some of those tools that you've seen? So, okay. So a couple of things, I think depending on the business or depending on the business type, that's going to really kind of uh, guide some of these granular answers or the granular options that you got in front of you. I say all the time on the show and and because I really mean this because I've had the pleasure and the fortune to work with so many different tools. I'm pretty tool agnostic myself. I, I think there's so many good tools out there in so many different directions, but let's start with some of the simple things, right? Any business in the world needs to think about how to keep track of just their general customer information. So now would be a time when if you can start thinking about a lightweight CRM like a HubSpot, or if you can start thinking about I mean, look, if you want to get really simple right now, GQ, even just having all of your customer information in Google can literally be helpful. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say that you're literally, you're a laundry business right now and you are completely used to literally people like GQ and Adrian walking in every, you know, once a week, we bring our shirts, we bring our, we literally bring our pile in, right? We drop it off. They do their thing. Those folks never had to even think about this stuff. They knew that there was X number of GQs and Adrians that would come in X number of times a week. And that's how they've been able to keep their businesses going. And it's worked in some cases, we've all got examples of laundromats right in our neighborhoods that have been open for 30, 40 years that way. Now it's a little bit different of a situation, right? GQ and Adrian can't go there. If that business owner had the hundred names of GQ and Adrian and their cell phone numbers and their email addresses, guess who's able to pick up our shirts or pick up our laundry or pick up our things right from home now? You can still keep yourself in the game to change the flow of how you sort of need to work within some of the new confines of the rules that we're dealing with. Here, here in the States, GQ, there's all this back and forth around who's an essential service, who's a non-essential service. So you'd have to think about those rules as well. But for example, there's just understanding how you can capture all of your customer information is the absolute starting point. Now, for folks who've already got their CRM, they're already using Salesforce, they're already using a HubSpot, they're already using some type of tool to keep track of all their customer information. Now you got to think about the actual communication piece. So like, for example, how are you actually managing your phone calls, your emails, your text messages? This is where maybe expanding and thinking about if you don't already have a tool that manages those those customer comms or those eternal comms, now you got to be thinking about that, right? There's And there's a ton of different offerings out there that can help you with with thinking about what that what that looks like. So there's a there's a couple ideas right there. That was really really insightful, and I, and I and I really really love that. And you know, on the topic of so kind of like moving a little bit more forward, right? So we talked about team, we talked about tools. Now, if a, when we're reviewing how CX is right now for uh, for the company, so we talk about the third CX pillar, and that is process. Now, what would be a good way for a business to review their process? Okay, sure. So this is literally one of the things that I am living, eating, breathing, and sleeping myself right now, sir. So I've, I've been working with with a number of different people to put together what I call living playbooks. Okay. Now for some of the big unicorns out there that have already literally scaled the top of the mountain and they've created these huge global brands and global businesses, one of the things that they all had in mind, Airbnb, 
Uber, Facebook, all of these huge mega global brands, they had a living playbook at one point. And part of how they manage rapid scale and rapid growth and constant pivot and constant change and literally getting curveballs whipped at your head every single solitary day of the week was having a living playbook. So as all these things are changing on the fly and as all this stuff is going on, you're constantly forcing the team to be able to document and populate and add links and add all of the different connective tissue for all the tools that you're building out, right? Especially if you're in a, one of these businesses where your toolkit can be 20 SaaS solutions deep before you know it, right? And you literally have like so many solutions that most people in the organization are completely confused by it. They don't even know where where to be because you've got so many things going on. That's one of the luxuries of, of being at a company, obviously, that's well-financed and, and, and able to grow like that. But the other thing too, though, guys, is it's one of the easiest ways that you can start to make sure that everybody has the snapshot or the most up-to-date story around what's happening in a business. Now, selfishly, you can imagine, how do you put a living playbook together, Adrian? I usually start with the four CX pillars. So I'll, I'll literally create the initial buckets of the team, of the tools, of the process, of the feedback. And then you take some of your managers or your team leads, the people that really know the game inside and out, top to bottom, and they can articulate all that. You start going to work and you start adding the meat and the potatoes and you start fleshing out all of the different variables that go into driving that, those day-to-day processes. So the living playbook would be huge, GQ. It's one of the easiest things you can do. And by the way, whether you're a small business, medium business, or large business, literally everybody can have their own version of a living playbook. There's even now at this point, you've got multiple solutions out there as well that are helping people to, outside of just Google, but you've got a plethora of LMS systems that allow you to drop your playbooks right inside of it. Jira is probably one of the old school tried and true classics where you can do your confluence of knowledge in one spot and then you just rip through your Jira books and you can see what's going on there. But that's one of the biggest things that I think that people should be thinking about right now is around the whole process idea. Get your get all of your processes into one living playbook. I couldn't agree more because when you have, and I think like sometimes like depending on where you are in your business sometimes we take for granted that like you know everyone everyone's supposed to know what you're supposed to be doing right, right when you're brought on and you're exactly. like okay i know how this works i know how that works but i think that only starts to really show when a you're starting to scale your business super quick right you're starting to bring on more people and people have to learn really quickly like okay what what are, what's the process like at a company a or like or when you know when you have to transfer knowledge let's say someone that's you know is moving on how do you do that, right? And so, I, I, like what you suggested here, it sounds like even at least for a, for a startup, no one has that documented somewhere. Just start with a Google document. Literally, <laughs> just like literally start down. with the Google Doc. That's it. And you know, you, you, one more point on that, GQs. Think about it. Like, I don't know what you're seeing on your side of the pond within some of uh, the, the the European climate, but like here in the states right now, man, like we are seeing some ridiculous numbers. I think by the end of this week, we're going to have almost 30 million Americans on the sidelines, 30 million Americans that are going to be out of work or they're going to be temporarily waiting to come back off the bench and get back into the game. Right. And so when you think about that problem and then magnetize that globally, right, whatever those numbers look like, which is scary to even think about, that's just another example of why right now you're making so many changes inside of your business, inside of your industry, uh, inside of your team, that if you don't have all of the changes and all the ebbs and the flows documented somewhere, what do you think is going to happen when all these people actually do start coming back to work? You know, and we got all these people coming back to the game and we need to have all these different folks kind of be brought up to speed or caught up on all the changes that we're making while we're dealing with this, this wild COVID ride. That is really just crazy. In fact, 
I think like one thing that's really interesting when we think about processes as well is with the simple fact that when we were when we've been looking at you were talking about tools, right? And processes are always constantly getting involved. And you know, with the concept of this playbook being able to be updated every single time, like what do you think is a good practice for people to follow that, you know, okay, if I were to update this playbook that it's up to date, but there's no kind of like an override, no clashing, right? So like always that one that one source of truth that is not wrong in some way. Okay. So I think there's a couple things that I typically advise people on. So there's a, there's this notion uh, from the, the Six Sigma world of essentially um, control and monitoring of a process after you've gone through to optimize it, right? So after you've gone through and done the whole fix or the whole, the whole deep dive around what's going on with it, then you need to establish essentially a control and monitoring plan to be able to continue to view hey, is this thing still working well and do we need to do additional optimization work on it? I usually use that same type of notion to answer your question here when someone says, okay, you want me to put all this this knowledge into a playbook, but then what? Then what do I do with it? Or how do I continue to govern it to, or to make sure that it's real and it continues to be the gospel for the company? And my answer is the onus is definitely on you as a leadership team to understand what your organizational appetite is going to be to update that. My recommendation with a living playbook, so if you're thinking about some of the businesses that I've spent the bulk of my career in GQ where you're talking about these post-series A, post-series B, post-series C, D, even E, right? These huge companies that have raised, you know, 50, 100, hundreds of millions of dollars to build a thing. My push or my recommendation is someone better be making daily adjustments because at a company of that scale, so many things change every single day, every single week. New ebbs, new flows, new new pivots, new businesses, new acquisitions, all this stuff just keeps coming. And so if you if someone's not making daily updates, then shame on you. I think let me let me reel that in a little bit. I realize daily might be a might be a little bit absurd. So my so then the second thing I say is then minimally once a week, your managers or your directors minimally should be looking at this thing. And then I think what what oftentimes I've seen work really well is once a month. It's great if you can get an executive team to, or executive sponsors to buy in to sort of working with those directors and those managers around, okay, what big updates do we have for this month? What changed? What are the major variables? Does that align with their executive strategy? Does that align with the rest of the business strategy or the mission? And and, and you'll begin to see very, very quickly whether or not things are aligned or, or, or misaligned, right? If the top 10 things that the people who run the company are talking about literally run the company, run the customers, run the the people that have to talk to the customers every damn day. They're the operators. If what they're saying, with the ten things they're saying, is wildly different than what the C suite's saying, you might want to have a little powwow. You might want to have a powwow and figure out where where there's a disconnect. I love that, and that is kind of aligned. I guess it's actually very aligned with your fourth CX pillar, and that is feedback. Feedback. That's my favorite one, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my that, favorite well, one. I mean, that, that, that's that's how you learn. That's how you figure out whether things are working or not. So, how would someone review if their feedback loop or if, you know, if their CX pillar of feedback is actually working well? Okay, when I talk about feedback, GQ, the first thing I do is I split it in half. There's two points of feedback, right? You've got your actual customer feedback, which is obviously the, a lot of fun. A lot of fun stuff comes from there. And then you've got your employee feedback or your team feedback. And guys, I think in, in today's world, man, if you haven't figured out yet that happy employees equals happy customers, then you got, you've got a lot, a lot, you're gonna have to pick up a copy of the four CX fillers and start reading through that. But on all joking aside, start with the customer feedback side. There's so many different ways you can collect customer feedback today. There's NPS, there's CSAT, 
There's customer effort scoring or CES scoring. There's transactional scoring or transat where you basically can get like thumbs up, thumbs down, smiley face, frown face. Like it just keeps going on and on, right? And then there's all these other cool things that you can do as far as in some of my past businesses or some of the some of the past client work that we've done GQ, you'll do voice of customer exercises where you can literally build like a little team of Navy SEALs, customer facing reps that are really comfortable talking to customers. And you can literally do phone strike based missions, identify the top 25 or 50 or 100 customer segments that you're thinking about that you need to get the X, Y and the Z more about to make some difficult decision. It's tee up a VOC and let them rip, right? And get really dialed in feedback so that you can understand some of the customer-facing implications before you go making some policy change or some some new thing that is just going to piss a bunch of people off, right? So the VOC is another really important tool that you can you can plug into your ground game. I'll stop there. Any questions on the customer feedback-facing side? Oh, no. This is like gold right here. Like, <laughs> And this this was actually going to lead me to, to, to talking about like uh, kind of like what people can expect out of the podcast and, and, and your 4CX Pillars uh, book, because I think uh, that that is where people will, you know, I think if people want to definitely find out more, it's a really good place to kind of check out in terms of how the 4CX Pillars works. Because in my opinion, I think that's a great framework to work out, uh, work on. It's one of those things where it's funny, like when, when I started kind of putting pen to paper on this, you know, a few years ago, it was really about whether you were Marty the painter and you had a handful of houses and a super small business or whether you were like a Facebook, right? And you're literally changing the whole landscape of the planet. Like you can think about the 4CX pillar methodology the same damn way. Gary the painter might be able to fit their four, his 4CX pillars on one page of paper, right? Literally is a one page doc that like can get everything out of his head into this piece of paper that helps shape his mind, right? Facebook might have a 400 page type of assessment because they're so far ahead and they're so massive that literally each pillar could contain hundreds of documents alone. So that was the idea. And that was really what was uh, the major intention for being able to help customer focused business business leaders really understand how they can grow their businesses. And well, so I guess like it's pretty straightforward. If you're, if you're interested in checking out the podcast, which you should, if you haven't already, uh, just basically go to cxchronicles.com and find, find it from there. Uh, in terms of the book, uh, where would be a good place for, for listeners to find it and buy it? Amazon, so, I guess? Absolutely. So you go right to Amazon, guys. Go to Amazon, search the four CX pillars. It'll pop right up there for you. We've got uh, paper book and Kindle ready to go. I'm actually in the pro- GQ. I'm in the process of doing my uh, doing the recordings right now for the audiobook. I- are you serious? Wow, so okay. Audible, Audible is going to be coming soon. So actually, I shouldn't say that because then some of our lazy listeners, they're going to wait for me to read it to them. <laughs> but no, in all fairness, like I, I'm an Audible guy too, guys. All, just totally kidding. But like I will in the next in the next month or two, we'll be up on ACX with Audible as well. So that'll be coming. And if you have any trouble finding it, go straight to the CX Chronicles website and you'll be able to follow the link directly to where you can buy it on Amazon. Now, before as we round up the show, uh, I always have uh, two very popular questions to ask. So the first one is, if people want to learn more about customer experience and more about the 4CX pillar, so we've talked about the podcast, we've talked about the book, uh, what would be a good way to contact you if they had more questions? So number one, feel free to go straight to cxchronicles.com. There's a number of different ways that you can get directly in touch with us right there, whether it's a submission form, phone number, email, all that fun stuff. We're down to talk CX literally any day of the week. Second place, GQ, is go straight to LinkedIn. Search Adrian Brady Chisana. You're going to find my profile right there or search the CX Chronicles 
profile in LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find me right there as well. Shoot us a note, shoot us a link, easiest way that we can chat. And again, we are, we're on any channel, any channel too, man. So omni channel view here. So, uh, you can also check us out at, uh, at our CX Chronicles, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Hit us up there and we'll get right back to you. And final question in line with what you're doing right now with CX Chronicles and every other aspect of your life, is there a personal mission statement that you live by? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think as far as I guess on the business side, it's really about pay attention to your craft on the business side. I tell this to people all the time. My team would, my teams would laugh at me or some of my coworkers would laugh at me at this, but like focus on your craft, right? If you're going to spend the bulk of your life at work, not with your family, not with your friends, the people you want to be with, but at work, working with customers and working with your coworkers, then take pride in your craft, man. It's something you get to work on five days a week, spend minimally one hour of each day fine-tuning your craft and take pride in your craft, man. So that's the business side. And then on the life side of things, GQ, I think it's just you got one life, man. So if if you're not doing the thing that makes you happy when you get up in the morning, and if you're not taking risks and taking chances and doing the things that you want to do, not the things that you're being told to do, then shame on you, man. You got one life. So there's you, <laughs> you, you really gotta you really gotta be able to dive into the deep end sometimes, you know? Yep. Hashtag YOLO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just exactly. had to do that. Just had to do that when you say that. Exactly. Adrian, I would love to have you back on the show again. We have we have limited time with the podcast, but I would love to have you back on the show again because I think you you've had you know you've provided so many good nuggets of information for people to review customer experience and understand how they can improve it and how they can look at it as even as just as business leaders or, or you know entrepreneurs in their uh, in their own right. So thank you so much, Adrian, for being on the show. That was super awesome. Absolutely, man. My pleasure, GQ. Thank you so much for for letting me come on the show and telling the story, man. It's my pleasure. All right, super cool. And thank you for tuning into the How We Solve podcast. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.